Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Ruth, chapter 2, verses 4 through 13. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for the shortest rest or short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. Enable us to be receptive to your message this morning and challenge us to live more fully for you than we ever have before. Through the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Around 1890, the year 1890, a boy was born to a Hindu family in a small town in India. His father was a con man and a devil driver. However, shortly after the boy was born, some Christian missionaries visited the area and hearing about Jesus for the first time, the man, his wife, and their son all became Christians. But because of their conversion, they were outcast by their community. They were literally outside the caste system. They were outcasts. They had no lands and they had no means of making money But through small, odd jobs, they saved every penny in order to send their son to the big city for a chance at a better life. It took them 10 years, but they finally saved enough to send that young boy away. Now by that time, India was in the throes of a major revolution, battling for independence from British rule. When the boy got to the city, he 
couldn't find a place to stay, and he ended up living on the streets because the English missionary wouldn't take him in because his skin was too dark. And he was turned away at the Hindu temple because he was now Christian. He was alone, still without a home or a community to help him. Before today's scripture that Jeff read for us, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, are in a similar position to, this boy, to the boy in our story. Ruth and Naomi moved from Moab, where Ruth was from, back to Bethlehem, Naomi's hometown. Their husbands were both gone, and they had no one to care for them. So hopefully in Bethlehem, Naomi could find some family that would have mercy on them and care for them. Ruth didn't have to follow her mother-in-law to Bethlehem. In fact, Naomi tries to convince Ruth to, to stay back with her family in her own country, where she could easily remarry and she could have a good life. But Ruth, she, she says no, and she holds fast, and she makes one of the most beautiful declarations of loyalty and love. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you, she says. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will become my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. That's an amazing statement to make to someone. And it's remarkable in and of itself, but then when we consider the historical context and what, what Ruth was actually declaring, it becomes even more beautiful. Ruth was a Moabite woman, and historically, Moab had been an enemy of Israel. Now, while the, at that time, Israel and Moab enjoyed a rare period of peace, we know that the enemies of any kind have very good memories. And Ruth had to have known how risky it was to be a Moabite woman and enter Jerusalem, especially a widow and her widow mother-in-law. Widows were the poorest of the poor. They had nothing to their name in a, in a society where men legally held all of the property. They had no way to provide for themselves. At least if Ruth were to stay in Moab, she could stay with extended family who would have mercy on her and care for her. But Ruth even goes so far to convert from worshiping the Moabite god of Shemosh to worshiping the god of Israel. Even though Naomi was convinced that God had turned from her, turned against her, she, changed, she wanted to change her name to Mara, which meant bitter. And she says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. But even though Ruth stayed with Naomi, even with all of those things against her, a widow from an enemy territory who went to Bethlehem with this desolate woman whose God had apparently abandoned her by all, by all intents and purposes, but as soon as the women arrive in Bethlehem, we can see that God is working in this story. They arrive during harvest time, which is, and, and they are offered, um, these two poor women 
are able to earn some money by, by gleaning, by gathering from the fields. According to God's instructions, wealthy farmers were required to let the poor glean from their fields, follow behind the harvesters and pick up what they could. Ruth convinced Naomi to let her go into the fields and to gather. And that should have been a recipe for trouble because Bethlehem was a relatively small town and in small towns, you know everyone. And she definitely would have been noticed. This single woman gathering in a field presented a certain risk. But a single woman from an enemy state, that would have made her even more of a target. But wouldn't you know that the field she chooses is one of a relative of her father-in-law? And when Boaz, this relative, discovered that she was this Moabite widow who had accompanied Naomi back to Bethlehem, he had a surprising response. Boaz said to Ruth, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and you came to live with a people that you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then Boaz invited her to gather all that she wanted and to drink from the jars of water that he provided for his workers. And he warned his men, don't lay a hand on her. He even told his workers to deliberately leave a little extra for them, just so they would have enough. To say the very least, Ruth was stunned by Boaz's kindness. She knew her status. She knew how foreigners were treated. And through a little matchmaking of Naomi, Ruth and Boaz were married not long after. But to take his acts of kindness even further, Boaz purchases not only Ruth's deceased husband's land, but his brothers, and then also his father's, Naomi's husband's land. He, this is a huge investment, but he risks what he has, his own estate, for this large purchase in order to redeem them all, to make sure that they were safe and cared for and loved. Boaz chose to see the other, the outcast. He chose to see Ruth for who she was, to accept her and to show her that she had a place in God's land of Israel. Now back to the story of the young Indian boy. He was searching for work and a place to stay, and he happened upon a store with a, a help wanted sign in the window. And he went in and he applied, and the shop was owned by a Muslim man who decided to take a chance on the boy, even though knowing that helping a Christian boy put himself at risk, that his own community could have ostracized him for doing that. Not long after, the shopkeeper even invited the boy to live with him, him and his family, above the shop, caring for them. And to the boy's surprise, he insisted that the boy stay, remain Christian, that he didn't have to convert to the Muslim faith, but he could stay a Christian, which was his father's faith. And the boy agreed to stay with them and, and 
and to, to stay a Christian, but out of gratitude for everything that this man was doing, and out of respect, he took the name of the shopkeeper, the name Rasul, for his own. And with the shopkeeper's help, Rasul came to study in Chicago at a Methodist seminary, and he be, and eventually became a Methodist pastor. And he went on to become a widely respected minister and teacher in India, and his family since produced five generations of Methodist pastors who, with God's guidance, have touched thousands of people in India and here in the U.S., all because a Muslim man took a Christian boy in to care for and love like his own. And Rasul's great-grandson was named Rasul Kumar after him, but he has the surname Welch, and we lovingly call him Russ. I lovingly call him husband. Over and over and over again in the Gospels, we see these stories of Jesus being present with outsiders, eating with sinners and tax collectors, speaking to prostitutes, interacting with all of these people that he shouldn't have been associating with. And Jesus is healing miracles. Like when he healed the paralytic in the second chapter of Mark, we see that he both healed the person's body Therefore, making him an outsider, an outcast no more, allowing him to be part of the community once again. But Jesus also healed people from their sin, restoring them with God. It doesn't matter what century or culture we are from. Welcoming the outcast, the outsider, takes risk. It's countercultural. The world says that that we should separate ourselves into categories. There's us and then there's them. Whether it's along religious lines or political lines or sexual orientation or income or gender or race or age, the list can go on and on and on. But Christ calls us to welcome the other, to welcome the outcasts, to welcome the thems. And that's the crux of Ruth's story. Boaz became the guardian redeemer, welcoming her even though she was a widow, even though her family used to be an enemy of his family, even though she came from a religion that was considered to be idolatrous and an abomination. As Christ followers, we're called to emulate Christ as best as we can in our everyday lives. And in, in this world of division, one of the most meaningful ways that we can do that is to show compassion and care for the outsider. We're so conditioned to judge and to place people into categories. We like to put people in boxes. It's very convenient and orderly that way. But what if we broke down the walls to our boxes and we looked in the eyes of the other person? seeing them for who they are, seeing them for the creation of God they are, who simply desires to be loved and to be known. Sometimes welcoming and accepting people takes courage, like with Boaz and like Rasul, the shopkeeper. But then at other times, it takes 
simply the act of saying hello to someone. You don't need to start with someone that you are diametrically opposed to. The other can be the person sitting next to you here this morning, the person that you don't know yet. If I've learned anything recently, it's that we have no idea what the person next to us is experiencing. We don't know what they're encountering in their life, what they're going through. Often, the person sitting next to you feels like the outsider, looking at the rest of the world just wanting to be seen, wanting to be shown love. I want you to take a moment and I want you to look at your neighbor. Come on, you can do it. I know, I know it's awkward. You might not know the person. Just say hi. That's all it is. Just say hi. See, it's not that hard. We can all do it. <laughs> now I can't get you guys back together. <laughs> Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. I think the beginning to world peace just might be that simple too. At the end of the book of Ruth, there is a genealogy of Boaz's family. We, we learn that Ruth's son, Obed, grew up and had a son named Jesse. And Jesse grew up to have a son named David. And 28 generations later, a little boy was born in a stable in the town of Bethlehem. Jesus came from a family of outsiders. And we never know just what that hello, that seeing someone for the child of God that they are, we never know how that might change the world in the future. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, we are so thankful that you have gathered us this morning, that we can look in each other's eyes and we can say hi and we can smile. And with that simple act, we can work towards peace together. God, challenge us to do that each day this week, to just say hi to someone, to see them, whether it's the person that is checking us out at the grocery store or at the bank, whether it's the person who is sitting across the dinner table from us. Help us to pause, to take a moment, to see someone, to know them, and to say hi. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.